God calls us to come as we are, man, and so uh, He knows who we are on the inside um, better than we do, and He loves us so much. That song, I love the lyrics on that song, that last one, this like, He totally, He just loves us. The Lord loves us, you know, and He has such an awesome plan for our lives. And uh, let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll get into the end of Daniel 9. We're going to be in verses 20 through 27, um, and uh, the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Um, whoever doesn't have a Bible with them today, please raise your hand. We're going to do something different this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, raise your hand. Somebody will bring one to you. We'll be reading out of New King James. I want us to read together um, these verses um, I kind of want to get in the habit of that, but sometimes we go through a whole chapter, and it'd be hard to read a whole chapter as a group prior to the teaching. Um, and so, uh, and then if you can, open up to Daniel chapter 9. It's after Ezekiel. <clears throat> and then I'd like us to read this together. So I don't want it on the screen. If you just want to keep the title up there, I want us to actually read out of the Bible together if we can. People are like, gosh, this is like, what are you giving us a college class? We've got to take a test? Got to find Daniel? So it's kind of in the middle to the, to the, if go to the middle of your Bible and turn the pages to your left. Um, it's after Jeremiah, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and... And just believe that we're supposed to do this today. So if you guys could stand with me, and we're going to read this together. Um, and this is Daniel chapter 9, verse 20 through 27 is what we're going to read, starting in verse 20. Because last week we ended um, with Daniel chapter 9, verse 19. And we're continuing with uh, this prayer that, uh, that Daniel was praying. Verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have... Now come forth to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary 
the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And I just ask that you would teach us today, Holy Spirit, that you would write upon our hearts the truth of you, the truth of this section of scripture. God, that none of us would leave this place missing out on what you have for us today. Thank you that your word is powerful, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's alive, that it discerns our thoughts and our intentions. God, I pray that you would breathe hope into us, God, that only comes from you. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us, God. In spite of us, you love us, Jesus. Thank you for that. And just uh, ask that you would just uh, bless this time that we study this, set, this portion of, of your word. And uh, just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. <clears throat> so this portion of Daniel, it's, it's very, very fascinating what we have to read here today. And I wanted us to read it together so that we kind of had the way it flowed. Until and, and, and so it wasn't just, you know, as, as I usually teach, I'll read one part, right, and then break it apart and stuff. And so I wanted us to read this piece and, and, and read how it flows here. And so in verse 20, um, we see here, uh, now while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplications before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. And so we see here that Daniel, he's continuing to pray. And if you were here last week, and if you read the beginning of Daniel 9, it's just this, this broken outpouring prayer that Daniel is just speaking to, to, to God about the sins of his life and the sins of his people. And he goes all the way back to how they, you know, when, when, how they disobeyed Moses and, and just all of this. He's just the whole weight of just his people, you know, and, and, and their disobedience to God. He's just pouring that out to the Lord. And so we got a good insight of what it's like to be broken and contrite before God and to be, to be, to be before him in, in a real honest fashion because when we come in contact with the true and living God, which, who, is, who is absolutely perfect, our response really is undone. Like it, it shines, God's word shines a light on me. And, and when it, it shines a light on me, I come to realize more and more and more how incomplete I am and how, how, how sinful of a person I am, you know? Yes, Jesus sets us free from the bondage of sin and death, but we still have this sinful nature, this body that just wants to do its own thing. And so it, it, you see Daniel, just this righteous man, this man that follows after God. He's just, and he's righteous because of his relationship with God. We learn that about his character later on, uh, earlier on in, in, the, in, in the other chapters prior to this, uh, his character and how, how his relationship with God is just extremely strong. And so we see here Daniel's continuing to pray and confess his sins and the sins of his people, presenting supplications, his requests, his petitions. And where is he placing them? Where is he going? He's going to God. What an example we see here that Daniel knew where his help came from. And, and, and where do we place our trust? Where do we go to voice our burdens? Um, do we go to the place of the world like the bar or Facebook or Instagram or other people? 
Now, don't get me wrong. Um, One-on-one conversations with people as a Christian is a requirement, I think. You know, the, being a Christian, it's not a Lone Ranger, you know, thing. We're not, we're not designed, God didn't design us to be separate from people. And especially in our relationship with Jesus, he didn't design us to be separate from people. <clears throat> God, God wants us to have accountability and the willingness to allow trusted. Now, mind you, I, I, I really put a strong emphasis on that word. God wants to allow wants us to be willing and allow trusted people to speak into our life. So, I, so when I say you know not going to other people, sometimes people all they do is voice all their concerns to people, and they never talk to God about what's going on in their life. And so, so we got to be careful with that too. We we need to talk with God, but also allow other people in our life. That's just kind of a little footnote. But look at Psalm 121, verse two. You can put the scripture on the screen, thanks. Um, I, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where hence comes my help. So, so in Psalm 121, the psalmist is saying, hey, all these pagans, they worship idols on the hills. My help doesn't come from there, okay? My help doesn't come from the hills of the worldly places. My help, verse two, uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 121, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we see that this is Daniel's focus, okay? Remember in the beginning of chapter nine, Daniel referenced that he had read Jeremiah and all of a sudden he understands that the 70 years of their exile being under dominion from uh, uh, pagan uh, kingships being Babylon, they're in Babylon, they're under exile. He's seeing, oh, the 70 years is almost up. And so his focus is God, his focus is towards the Lord. He knows that his help comes from the Lord. In fact, his prayer is like, God, come quickly. Will these, will these next three years please hurry up? So we see Daniel's attitude towards God. It reflected trust in the Lord. So my question is, do you trust God with your life? Do you trust God with the issues of your life? Okay, that's always the rub. In all of our life, do we trust God with things? It's a yes or no question. There's no gray area. And if it's no, then God, will you please help me trust you with this? And some, if you have a relationship with Jesus, some supernatural way, he gives us that trust. He gives us that ability to trust him. He just wants us to be honest with him. And so Daniel's prayer, super honest, right? Verse 21. Now it switches gears. And he says, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, and Gabriel's an archangel, angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. So we see the angel Gabriel um, had visited Daniel once before at the beginning of, of this, was back in chapter eight, verse 16, was the first time that Gabriel had visited Daniel. Um, and, and, and Daniel recognized Gabriel. And Gabriel flew swiftly. So time, that swiftly isn't like, oh, you know, he was doing 150 miles an hour. No, time doesn't exist in God's realm, okay? So, so instantly, Gabriel was where Daniel was. And I believe that Gabriel didn't, he wasn't high. He wasn't on some trip. This wasn't some aberration of his imagination. I believe he physically saw Gabriel, okay? 
If God created the heavens and the earth and holds everything in his hands, he created all of all the angels and everything, all of the heavens, everything. And we know that demons are fallen angels and he even created those, but they decided to follow Satan. And Satan was, you know, the most beautiful being ever created. He was in charge of worship in heaven and he wanted his own prideful way. And, and so, you know, God exiled him, threw him out of heaven. And so he roams around the earth, right? In fact, the earth is his place. He's in dominion of it. If you go back to when Jesus was, was tempted, one of the things that Satan wanted to give Jesus was all of the, 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 the riches of the world, the kingdoms of the world. So Satan has authority over those things. And the reason why I'm saying this is that there is a literal, real, spiritual place that happens all around us. And, and, and so when we read this, let's not discount that this is literal and real, okay? And so we see um, that, that Daniel, I mean, that Gabriel comes and visits Daniel, okay? And it was at the time of evening offering. And so we have a time day stamp that was at the evening offering. It was in the evening time. Verse 22, and he informed me. So now Daniel's sharing what Gabriel said to him. And he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. It's important to note here that only God can give skill of understanding. Gabriel was under the authority of God himself, okay? Angels have no power except what God gives them, okay? Angels can't speak to you. Your dead family can't speak to you. People have to understand that it is God that has the authority to allow angels or supernatural things to happen like that. Okay, this wasn't Gabriel on his own authority, okay? And so when, when Daniel's talking about this, when Gabriel says, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand, this is God's messenger and basically God through Gabriel saying to him, look, I'm gonna give you understanding. In verse 23, at the beginning of your, listen to this, you guys, this is super important for us because in our lives, sometimes we think God doesn't hear us because we don't see the results because as human beings, we need tangible evidence, right? Like, you know, we wanna build something. Well, it, like Gene and I, we're building this coffee cart, you know, this coffee trailer, 1967 Shasta, and I'm putting all this work into it. And we've had this conversation before and I've told her, I'm a guy, unless I see results, it, I feel like all of my efforts are useless. You know, maybe, uh, I don't know if ladies can re re relate to that, but as men, we like to build things and see the result. If we build something and the result is poor, then it, we feel like our job is not done. It's just how we're wired, you know? And so a lot of times we think that you know, God doesn't hear us or, 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 you know, he's not interested in us and, and all of these things. And so it's super important for us to rely on the word of God that he does hear us when we pray. Not rely on what we see, not rely on what we feel, and not rely on what we think. Because my sight isn't God's sight. My feelings lie to me and my mind is corrupt, Okay. And so we see here what happened at the beginning, verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications. In other words, the minute you started talking to God, the command went out and I have come to tell you. So instantly, Daniel, when you started speaking to God, the command was sent to me and I left to go to you. See, in God's timing, there's no clock. He hears us 
Now he doesn't answer prayer always the way we want him to, and it's not always in our timing. Majority, it's not because what does he want to do? He wants us to grow in trust and faith and reliance upon him and his power in our life. And if God always gave us everything when we asked, we wouldn't really trust him much. It's kind of like the spoiled kid, right? You keep giving him everything all he wants, and then what does he have? He just ex- he's just spoiled. He doesn't, he doesn't rely upon his giftings or, 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 or his natural abilities, okay? And when we, when, if God was to give us everything the way we wanted it every time, we wouldn't trust him. We wouldn't rely on him. A lot of times the issues in our life, they need to drive us to, to praying and to be broken and to crying out to God and to have supplications laid before him. In other words, pleading with him and driving us to read the word. There needs to be a funnel in our life that pushes us to read God's word and rely upon his power in our life. And then we're like, wow, we're like, God, you're so real. And so there's this relationship that the Lord has with us. And it's active and it's real and it's alive and it's amazing. And so as we see here that that Gabriel tells Daniel, right when you started talking, right when your supplications of command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly, listen to this, you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. What, a, what, a, what an opening statement from an angel to a human being. Daniel was groveling, talking about all of his sin and all of the hurt and everything. And then Gabriel says, the minute you started talking, I came to you and you're greatly loved. Isn't that just God's grace right towards us? That's how he looks at us, right? He says, come as you are, confess your sins, To me, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What did I do? All I did was believe and direct my life towards him. He did the rest. What an amazing little piece we have here of how heaven hears our prayers, that God hears our prayers. And then now, you know, Gabriel goes to give him understanding and skill. Daniel didn't even ask for it. If you go back and you read the context of Daniel's prayer, he's just like crying out of how horrible they all are. And God come and fix this quickly. Get us out of exile. Jeremiah tells, us, tells me that in the book of Jeremiah, t- tells me that it's going to end soon. Get us out of here. See, the Lord desires us to know the things that his father God has told to him. Jesus wants us to know. John 15, 15 says, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard my father, that I, that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you know that everything that God wants you to know, he's going to let you know, and it's through his word. You know, a lot of churches that are out there, um, some, some of the really hyper Pentecostal churches. And I, I love, you know, I love my brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's some things that I just can't hang with sometimes because I just, it's just, uh, and I'm not talking bad about churches. But when there's people that say in the name of the Lord, there's something new and he's doing something new and there's this newness and newness and da, 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 da. And so you're chasing after this newness all your life and you're trying to figure out where God's newness and then you never get the newness and then this bitterness starts. And the reality is that this is, it. If it's not in here, it's not, it, it doesn't exist. There's nothing new under the sun. There's things that haven't happened yet, but there's nothing new. 
The world has been corrupt for many years. If you go through Corinthians and you read through Corinth, Corinth was horrible. You read through Ephesians, Ephesus had a temple of Diana where the prostitutes would come out and, and want to have sex with the people. I mean, we're not, people are like, oh, you know, the world's just bad. The world's been horrible since Adam and Eve's end. I mean, you got Cain and Abel and one of them killed the other person. Oh, they didn't get too far out of the Garden of Eden. You know, so don't go chasing after what's new. Chase after the true and living God through the Bible and watch him transform your life. And Daniel, his faith towards God and, and, and man, just, it's just amazing. And so we see here that Gabriel is going to give him understanding of this vision and, and Daniel didn't even ask for that. How loving God is wanting to let us as his children know things about him through his word. See, God's not a God that's just, he's not at arm's length and he doesn't shroud himself in darkness. He doesn't hide himself in secrecy. In fact, all of creation proclaims who he is. Verse 24, here's where it gets fun. So Gabriel's telling him this, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. What is this saying here? Well, here's what it's saying. 70 weeks, okay? Literal translation, it means 70 sevens. Um, in Hebrew language, when they would use that word weeks, that weeks means seven, Seven years, okay? So we're gonna, the scripture's written in weeks, but we have to understand that when it says weeks, it means seven years, a block of seven years. So when he says 70 weeks are determined, it's 70 seven-week periods. Are you tracking with me? Okay. And the literal translation there means literally seven sevens, Okay. So almost all Bible scholars and commentators agree that this is to mean 70 sets of seven years, equaling 490 years. And yes, I did get my calculator out when I was studying this time. The focus here, though, is on Daniel's people, the Jews, and for the holy city of Jerusalem. We see 70 weeks are determined for who? For your people, being Daniel's people, they're Jews, Israelites, and for your holy city, which is Jerusalem. So this is pertaining to the Jews and, 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 and the holy city, Jerusalem, okay? Remember, Christianity didn't exist then. Christianity started when, at the day of Pentecost, okay? Prior to Pentecost, prior to Jesus coming, the ministry of Jesus was to his people, um, you go through Acts. We did a study on that last year. Uh, Gentiles weren't a part of this whole thing with God. God's people were the Israelites. Everybody who wasn't an Israelite was not part of God's people, okay? So this isn't talking about the church when he says 70 weeks uh, are determined for your people and for your holy city. But as non-Jewish people, we're grafted in by the blood of Jesus. We get to take part in this. 
And that's just God's grace, and it's amazing. So what will be accomplished in these 70 weeks or these 70 sets of seven years, 490 years? Here's what will take part. To finish transgression. So if we, t- and, and this is important to take this literally, okay? This is not, sp- we're not gonna spiritualize this. To finish transgressions. If we take this literally at face value, this would mean a literal, listen, you guys, a literal end to transgression and a new earth. No more transgression, no more sin, no more against God, okay? And then the next piece in this verse says, to make an end of sin. Again, taking this literally, this means that there will one day be an end of sin. In fact, an end of the shame, an end of the guilt. No sin, a perfect sinless world. What happens next in the end of the 70 years? To make, I mean, of the 70, the 490, to make the 70 sets of seven, sorry. To make reconciliation for iniquity. Our iniquity, okay, Man's iniquity was reconciled at the cross. Jesus settled all of our penalties for the debt of our guilty sin. At the cross, that was taken care of. God reconciled mankind. Now, does mankind always believe or live in that? No. But God reconciled the penalty for mankind at the cross. That was a done deal. God said, I'm doing this. I'm sending my son You can believe in him or not, but I'm going to be true to what I want to do for you because I love you, because God's always true. He's not a liar. Another thing that'll happen that out of this, by the time this 70 ends, to bring everlasting righteousness. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will usher in everlasting righteousness, not for one person, but for all that believe. This is a reality that will happen to seal up vision and prophecy. This speaks of the end of prophecy, which is the conclusion of human history, bringing us to the final occurrence that is Jesus Christ physically enthroned and ruling and reigning on the earth. These are real things that will happen in the future. We know that Christ crucified already happened. And anoint the most holy. So this is a place, not a person. The most holy place, in other words, at the beginning of the thousand-year reign, which is going to happen, the temple described in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 44 will be anointed or consecrated in Jerusalem. The glory will return in the person of the Lord. That's in Ezekiel 43, verse 1 through 5. And so it's amazing what... Gabriel is speaking to Daniel. This is the most profound prophecy and so descriptive of what's going to happen and what has happened and what will happen in regards to Christ's crucifixion. Now, therefore, verse 25, Gabriel continues and says, Now, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome time. So what happened now? We took 70, right? 70 weeks, seven set, 70 sets of seven, being seven years. We took that and now Gabriel's saying that there's gonna be uh, seven weeks. In other words, seven sets of these weeks and then 62 weeks. 
And you're like, well, wait a minute. That's only 69. What? Where's the seventh? And we'll get into that. Where's the last one? So Gabriel gives detail so that Daniel may understand further what transpires in the 70 weeks. We see that this 70 is split in two. Like I mentioned, seven weeks equals 49 years and 62 weeks equals 434 years, totaling 483 years. So there's a piece missing. So the timeline here, this is really fascinating. This is super important. And this validates scripture. It's just amazing. The evidence that God gives us physically, remember I was saying that we see something physical or tangible, there's tangible evidence in history that proves that these things that were written hundreds of years before are true. So we see the timeline starts when the command goes out, okay, this timeline where it says, now therefore, and understand that from the going forth. So when Gabriel says from the going forth, he's saying, click, he starts the timer from this, okay? from when this happens, from when the going forth of the command to restore what? And build, to restore and build Jerusalem, okay? That's when the clock starts ticking. So the timeline starts when the command goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, not the temple, okay? This isn't the temple, this is the city. Artaxerxes made a decree giving Nehemiah permission safe passage and supplies to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the city and the walls. And that was in 445 BC. If you want, read Nehemiah chapter two, verse one through eight, okay? So King Artaxerxes, Nehemiah served under him and Nehemiah was downcast and he said, why? Nehemiah was a cupbearer and, and Nehemiah shared with them that my heart's broken because my city's in ruins. So this command goes out. And we, so we know from Nehemiah that, the, now again, the latter part of verse 25, it says, the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times, okay? And if you read through the account of Nehemiah, we know that from Nehemiah that the walls of Jerusalem were built in troubled times. Nehemiah and his builders had a sword in one hand and were building in the other. God's word is so amazing, man. When you start reading and these things unfold before you and you give, God gives you understanding to see these things, you're just like, wow, Lord, you are so powerful and you know all things and I am so little and you're so amazing. And as we continue this study, we'll find out that time is short for us as we're here on earth. Jesus is coming soon, okay? Um. If you want to jot this down in your notes, write Living Faith, Calvary Chapel Living Faith, Pastor Jason, if you want to get the link from his stuff, he does technology updates, how prophecy and technology updates are. And uh, he goes through all these articles. He's been doing it for like two or three years. And the culmination of everything happening in the earth, like I had mentioned a few weeks back, like we're in a perfect storm. Like there's so much, there's so much going on in regards to end time prophecy right now, that it, 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 it's undeniable that we are in a season of moving forward qu- more quickly than we were before about Christ coming soon. And as a Christian, what that should do, and I'm not saying, oh, G- you know, Jesus is coming now. There's no, I, no one knows the day when he returns, okay? No one knows the day when the church is raptured prior to um, end time with, with, with the Antichrist. We're gonna get into that today too. 
but it, this should build in us an urgency, okay? An urgency to get right with God if there's things in your life that you just know you need to get rid of. An urgency to be praying for opportunity to share Christ with others. An urgency. As we learn about Jesus, there should be an urgency. And, we sh- and if we don't have, Holy Spirit, we please empower me to be the Christian you want me to be? And everybody's not gonna be standing up and doing this, okay? But I was having a conversation with my brother-in-law yesterday. I said, in the context of your daily life, God wants to use you. This just happens to be the context that God said, Brian, be a fool for me and, and go do this in Olivehurst, okay? Um, and so I just, I always wanna encourage people, man, God wants to use you. And as the day approaches, Christ is coming soon. And one day our opportunities are gonna be gone. And for those of us who know the Lord, praise God, we'll be in his loving graces, like we'll be in heaven one day. But in that time, man, it's time to be about his business. And so that was something that really, the Lord just really pricked my heart while I was reading through this portion of scripture because this leads all the way up to what happens at the end of the world. Um, and so, uh, so between, so, um, so Nehemiah and his builders had sword in one hand and as they were build, rebuilding the city, so, so the city and the walls were, were built um, uh, in troublesome times. Um, and then so between the command of rebuilding Jerusalem, okay, and this, the verse says, until the Messiah comes, um, will be seven weeks, excuse me, and 62 weeks. So 483 years. And so the streets and walls in Jerusalem will be rebuilt in the first seven weeks, or seven times seven, um, which would be 49 years. And then after that, the Messiah would come um, after the 62-week period. So I'm going to read to you an equation, and um, numerous commentators reference this, and so I, I, it's valid, um, and, and the timelines are valid. And so it, this is super fascinating, and it's just, my mind is just like, wow, God, like, you're, you're so crazy how you can speak through your word, through Gabriel to Daniel about things that haven't even happened. And then we're in a day and age where we have so much information at our fingertips. You can go to blueletterbible.com and read so many different Bible texts and so much information. And if you want to learn Greek and Hebrew, that's even in there. And that's free. I mean, a hundred years ago, you couldn't do that, you know? And so God has made so many opportunities for us to learn his word. So there's a man named Sir Robert Anderson, okay? And he calculated out where the date would be for the seven weeks and 62 weeks. The 70 weeks of Daniel, as understood by Sir Robert Anderson in his book, The Coming Prince. So Daniel 9, 24 through 25 says that from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem to the coming of the Messiah, there will be 483 years. Seven plus 62 weeks equals 69 groups of seven years. So seven times 69 is 483 years. That's how I got to that. Anderson understood a prophetic year as 360 days. So our calendar is 365. The calendar back then was 360 days. This is based both on ancient history and on Revelation. If you want to jot this down, you can. If you want a copy of this, I can get it to you. 
Um, but ancient history, and on Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, chapter 13, verse 5, chapter 11, verse 3, and chapter 12, verse 6, which indicate that 42 months, okay? So three and a half years are equal to 1,260 days. So 42 months times three and a half years, therefore 483 years, sorry, times 360 days is 1,000, I'm sorry, 173,880 days. So the equation is 483 years times 360 days, okay? Equals 173,880 days. And you're like, Brian, what does that matter? Okay. Yeah, 42 months, sorry, I got... When it starts mentioning weeks, and then I'm used to just weeks being seven days, and then months, and I'm like, what? And then in this equation it says years. I'm like, wait a minute, where am I at? So 42 months would be 300, would be three and a half years, okay? <clears throat> or equal to 1,260 days. Sorry that I glo glossed over that. So Artaxerxes started his reign in 465 BC. The decree to rebuild Jerusalem was given on the first day of Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. In our calendar system, the Julian calendar, that date is March 14th, 445 BC. Are you tracking with me, you guys? Okay, you're not glazed over like in the math class where the teacher's like, womp, 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 womp. So listen. Jesus started his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius. See Luke chapter 3, verse 1. Tiberius started his reign in AD 14. So Jesus' ministry started in AD 29. Anderson believed that Jesus celebrated four Passovers during his ministry, one each in AD 29, AD 30, and AD 31, and his final Passover would have been AD 32. With the help of lunar charts, we can calculate the exact date of ancient Passovers. So they can chart when ancient Passovers actually occurred because those followed lunar calendars. So it is possible to calculate the exact day, listen, you guys, of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem as April 6th, AD 32. Are you following me? The reason why I'm bringing this up is because in verse 25, Gabriel tells him the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, comma, until Messiah the Prince. So Messiah the Prince is speaking of Jesus, okay? So he's foretelling about the rebuilding of Jerusalem being a timestamp, and Gabriel's foretelling about Jesus coming in as the king or prince, prince being someone who is, um, has authority, not prince being secondary of the king. That's not what it's referencing him as because Jesus is not secondary to the king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. So from 445 BC to AD 32, there are, sorry, you guys, this is just a lot of numbers. There are 476 years on the Julian calendar, not 477 years, because there is no year zero. So, if we take 476 years and times that by 365 days, that would give us 173,740 days. So we're off a little bit here. But adjusting for the difference between March 14th and April, April 6th, okay, 
adds 24 days. Adjusting for leap years over a period of 476 years adds 116 days. The total number of days from March 14th 445 BC, which was the decree to rebuild the wall and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, to April 6, AD 32, which is when Jesus' triumphal entry happened, is would be 173,740 plus the 24 days that were adjusted between March 14th and the 6th, plus 116 for the leap years, equals 173,840. 80 days. So according to his calendar, Daniel told us there would be 173,880 days between the decree and the arrival of the Messiah, the Prince. This would be the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ where he fulfills the prophecy about him being king. I don't know about you guys, but when I read this, there's just such validity of how powerful God is and his word and what he wants to speak to us. And, 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 and anybody that tells you, oh, the Bible's this and that, it, it, it's a lie. The enemy, the spirit of Antichrist wants to always be against Jesus. The spirit of Antichrist has been on the earth for a long time, but there is a physical manifestation that will happen one day with a person. And we're gonna get into that because the scripture covers that as well. And so it's amazing. We see here in Luke chapter 19, verse 35 through 40, this is the triumphal entry of Jesus. Then they brought him to Jesus being the donkey and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they sat Jesus on him. So now Jesus, and this, is, this was prophecy. Jesus always followed what God's word spoke about him. He always was about the father's business. Absolute in unity of what God did and spoke through the word. Absolute unity because he is God. And yet he's a son and he's here. He's, 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 he's man, he, he came for us. And so the validity of Jesus is also seen in scriptures. It's so amazing. And so verse 36, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So Jesus, now you have to understand, this is very specific for Jesus, okay? He did not ride around like our countrymen do who govern, you know, the, the states and, and everything. They'd, he didn't have some, you know, car cavalcade and, and, and secret service or anything. In fact, I really believe that if you and I saw Jesus, we wouldn't recognize him because he would probably look like somebody who didn't live anywhere except out in the wilderness. We'll read about that too. Isaiah 53 in a second here. So we see here in verse 36, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. And so there's this exuberance about him coming on this donkey, a donkey. It wasn't even a, a steed. It wasn't even a big horse. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, so now he's coming down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples, in other words, all of the people around began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, shut those idiots up. They're, they're, they're distracting people from us. So spirit of antichrist wants to pull away from Jesus. Verse 40, Jesus says, but he answered and said to them, I tell you, 
that if these should keep silent, in other words, if these people did not cry out about me being the king, if they were silent, the stones that were on the ground, the stones would immediately cry out. This is the only time that Jesus ever allowed himself to be recognized as king. And he did this to fulfill prophecy. And so it's very specific. It's not just some odd thing. It's, it's, it's specific to even, you know, what's mentioned here in Daniel. The triumphal entry of Jesus, 173,880 days from when the building of the Jerusalem. It's amazing. Very amazing. Verse 26. There's another interesting thing. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. You're like, well, wait a minute. I thought he was there. He's taking care of sin. But not for himself. Well, wait a minute. Why is it not for himself? And the people of the prince, now listen, of the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. So in verse 26, there is this distinct statement pointing to Jesus Christ's crucifixion, okay? That he shall be cut off, but not for himself. See, Jesus had nothing. He didn't have earthly wealth. Although he created all things, if you go to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Speaking of Jesus, that nothing was created but through him. Jesus created the donkey he was riding on. He created all the riches. He created all things. He spoke all things into existence. But yet he had nothing. He had no wealth. He didn't have a glorious death. I mean, he was murdered by his own people uh, the way that a murderer would have been murdered, and yet he was innocent. He didn't have a home to lay his head. God says that he has, he has no place for his head in his word. He didn't even have his own burial site. That He didn't have that. Somebody bought that for him. God's word tells us that he was despised and rejected by mankind. Isaiah 53, verse 3 through 9. If you jot this down, man, this is an amazing chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read a few verses here. But this is such an amazing description of Jesus. Every, every portrait of Jesus is a lie, I'm telling you. He looks like Fabio, you know? I mean, there's this one church we were at, and, and, they, and they had this rendition of Jesus, you know, in his loincloth, and he was like yoked, man. He was all chiseled out and long flowing hair, and his beard was perfect. It's so unbiblical. It's the way we want him to look because he's perfect and righteous. And so that's what we, we view as perfect and righteous. But when Jesus came, he came in such a way that all would be able to come to him and not feel ostracized. Isaiah 53, verse three through nine says this, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If you think God doesn't understand your grief, then you don't know the God that I know. He understands your grief. He loves you. He's acquainted with it. He understands it. And then the writer of Isaiah says this, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Doesn't sound like a great person, huh? 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. In other words, when he was whipped and beaten, the blood that flowed is actually what heals our lives. We need, the, that's what allows us to have healing is the blood of Jesus his crucifixion. Verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation? Who's gonna talk about him? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. This was written hundreds of years before Christ came. And so we read Isaiah 53, right? And, and, and we, I mean, we read Daniel 26 where it says that... Um, Messiah shall be cut off, but not to himself. And you read Isaiah 53 and you're like, wow, like, like literally Jesus had nothing. Man, can we relate to him or what? We also see in verse 26 that there is a people of, certain, of a certain prince, okay, in verse 26. This certain prince that is to come who will destroy the city of Jerusalem and everything in it, in the way of flood, consumes and destroys. So Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 13, verse 2. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So it's strongly believed by the majority of Bible scholars and commentators that the destruction took place when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70. The prince to come, okay, uh, this refers to the Antichrist. We know that the Antichrist comes out of the revised Roman Empire. We learned that earlier on in, in Daniel. Um, comes out of the revised Roman Empire. We learned, we learned about that. It, it's in Daniel chapter two. Um, so the people, okay, track with me here, you guys. So the people of the prince to come would have been the Romans. It's the people of the future prince to come. We know that in Daniel, it talked about um, the 10 horns and the little horn being this uh, leader that came out of the 10 horns and the 10 horns were the 10 um, territories or kingships of a revised Roman empire, excuse me. And so we see here now referencing um, in Daniel chapter nine, verse 26, verse 26, that this print, people of the prince to come would be the Romans. And so we know in AD 70 that uh, Jerusalem, the temple, it was destroyed. Um, they destroyed it so much, there was nothing left. They, 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 they destroyed everything so much that they, they wanted to get the gold out of all of the pieces of the, of the temple, the, the rocks. They, they just leveled it. Verse 27, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, 
But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So we see um, here now, I want you to understand, uh, what does it say here? Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for how long? Hello? One week, right? One week, right, seven years. Very good. So he's going to confirm this covenant. Who's this covenant with? What is this talking about here? So remember how the seven and the 62 weeks only made up 69 out of the 70? Okay, so there was a, a block of seven years missing that haven't happened yet. Okay, so there's this gap from, because when Christ's triumphal entry happened, tri, tri, when he, tr, his triumphal entry into to Jerusalem happened, he was crucified five days later, okay? So that was very close, right? So Christ crucified. So then now what happens? And, and, and so, so, so we see here now this last seven-year period spoken by the angel Gabriel. And like I mentioned, it's important to note that the seven plus 62 equals 69. So this would leave a section of seven years that needs to be accomplished still. Did you track with me that, that we had the, the, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, we had Jesus crucified, the destruction of, of the temple in Jerusalem, all those things have already happened, right? Which was, and, and the beginning, when, when Gabriel started talking to him and laying out all the different things that was to happen in the 70 years, that was like the overview of everything that was gonna happen, right? The end of sin, everlasting righteousness. And then, Daniel, and then Gabriel gets into the details of the historical accounts for this prophecy. And now we have verse 27, what's gonna happen in the last seven years of the world? It's important to note uh, so, so we see here this gap uh, with the 69th week, which is between Jesus' triumphal entry and the last week uh, or the seven-year period. And so we're in this gap right now as we sit here in this room. Um, after Jesus and before the Antichrist, this is the age of the church, okay? That's where we're at right now. As the world spins around and the sun goes around, we're in the age of the church. Remember, God is in control of all these things. The whole agenda for mankind is to worship God, to have a relationship with him. And the whole agenda for Christians is to, sh is to share the exciting love of Jesus with others. My son, we had a birthday party yesterday for, for two of our sons. And, 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 and you ever been to a birthday party with kids, right? And when they open presents, is it like adults? No. Adults are like, hey man, cool, thanks, fist pump. Oh, I got a gift card, sweet, thanks. But at my son's birthday, um, they're just like, oh, oh my gosh, this is amazing, wow, for like a $20 Lego set. And I'm sitting here in my family room, just standing, and I'm watching all this, and I thought, that's how we need to be because we're set free from hell. We need to be like the five-year-old opening their $20 Lego box like it's the most exciting thing they've ever seen in their life. But how, but, but is, does that mark our life? No, it doesn't always mark my life. 
my bills mark my life. My guilt for things I think of mark my life. Um, sometimes things of my past marks my life. And I think of my son opening that present. I think that is the attitude I need to have. Whoa, I'm going to heaven one day. Yes, sorry, I woke you guys up. But that needs to be like how it is in our life. And life's not always like that though, okay? There are seasons in our life where it's not like that. And I've gone through my journals, I've read through sections of my life where it's just like clouds. But amazingly, I was writing to God. My prayers and stuff. My life hasn't always been that way. But we need to have joy and there needs to be an excitement that we're set free. It needs to be that light in our life because everything else in our life can drag us down. We can get so focused on so many different things. And I know, I know personally, some of you guys are going through heavy things right now. But that doesn't change who God is. And that doesn't change our future and how solidified it is. And that when Jesus died on the cross and that one day when we invited Jesus into our heart, that the most amazing gift God could ever give to creation is only some we accepted that and supernaturally God came and lived inside of us. And that inside my soul, I should be that way all the time. I should just be excited that I'm going to heaven. And you know, you read about people, missionaries and, 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 and different people and how, you know, even in trials and stuff, Job's life, man. I, you know, Gary and I were talking about Job today, you know, and, and God tested him and, and his wife even said, his wife got even tired of him. Why don't you just curse God and die? But Job, Job had this steadfastness towards God. Man, to have that excitement that I have the gift of everlasting life inside of me to be like a child again in the Lord's arms. I think the world just is so, it's, it's designed to take that away from us, that excitement, the newness, the, the, uh, the, the first love that we're to have with Jesus. And I'm not saying ignore difficulties in life. I, kn I know those things exist. Um, but man, watching one of my kid yesterday and just screaming over a $20 box of Legos, I'm like, that's, that's how Christians should be because we're saved. It shouldn't just be, oh man, six months while I was saved, I was, it was, woo, it was great. Now I'm just like, yeah, I'm paying bills. You know, it's like, where's the life in our relationship with Jesus? It has to come in that experiential relationship, spending time with him, reading the word, praying with others, allowing other Christians that we, that we can trust, talking with them. God's word says, confessing our sins one to another, that we can pray for another and be healed. It's amazing what God offers us. So we're in this gap right now. The era before the Antichrist comes into power, the timeline before the rapture of the church is where we are today. So back here, talking about the seven-year period of the Antichrist. Um, then he, uh, this is the prince who is to come mentioned in verse six, where it says, then he shall confirm a covenant. That's speaking of the he uh, 
of the prince to come in verse 26. So then he is the prince to come uh, mentioned in verse 26. He shall confirm a covenant or in other words, create an agreement with Israel. Okay. So the Antichrist will come into power and be this great, great person with all the answers. And there will be many that praise him for what he will be able to do and how he is able to come in and lead the Jewish nation with power. So just like the way as a Messiah. So, um, and, and how they and those that are in the world at the time, they will be so deceived. See, the Jewish people rejected the Messiah during his first advent when Jesus came in triumphal entry. His people rejected him. And unfortunately, they will gladly accept the Antichrist. Now, speaking about the Jewish people, the, the people that are going to be around at the time, the church has to be raptured prior to this happening because God's wrath becomes poured out upon the earth. Okay? And, 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 and the church, it, we're not designated for the wrath of God. We're under the covering of Jesus. We're under the covering of, of, of the sanctification of the pure blood of Jesus. We're, we're under that covering. We're saved by grace. We're, we're saved. We're saved from the wrath of God. We're no longer under the, the, the judicial judgment of God once we become a believer. And so the church isn't set aside for the judgment of God in that way, not as in the end times. Verse, John chapter five, verse 43, Jesus spoke about his people. He said, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. I love, Jesus was like so specific. And you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. He's speaking, he says, hey, another, if they come in his own name, you're gonna receive them. So in the middle of this week, this seven-year period, so three and a half years into this agreement, the Antichrist will bring an end to the sacrifices in the temple of Jerusalem. He will break his agreement. He will set up an abominable, idolatrous image in the temple. He will command that it be worshiped. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, so we know the holy place, the temple will be rebuilt one day. Um, holy place, who Whoever reads, let him understand. You say, well, okay, the Dome of the Rocks there. Well, the, the temple could be built in a different spot. Some believe that the Dome of the Rock actually is the court of the Gentiles. So it's not the most holy place in the land of Israel. So in ending here, I want to read this. A believer's Bible commentary states this, and thank you for your patience, everybody. He will persecute and destroy those who refuse to worship the image. So this is how the Antichrist is going to treat people who decide, oh, we don't want this image in our temple. The terrible persecution will continue for the last half of the 70th, of the 70th week. So three and a half years of grandeur in Jerusalem and Israel with this covenant, this false Messiah, quote unquote, and then he's going to raise himself up in the Holy of Holies and demand to be uh, worshiped. And then it's just going to all be horrible. Terrible persecution will continue it, during that last portion of the week. And that period is known as the Great Tribulation. It's, it's a horrible time. We don't want to be there. Then the Roman prince, the one who makes desolate, will himself also be destroyed in the end as decreed by God, by being cast into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. I think I put it up there, right? Is it in there, Revelation 19, 20? Oh, it's already there. Then the beast was captured. Sorry. 
Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of burning of fire burning with brimstone they'll be destroyed forever so the end of the 70 week period god jesus comes and 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 he reigns as king and there's everlasting righteousness on earth just like spoken in the other verses in daniel chapter 9 it's amazing what god's word teaches us about the history and the future and so my friends be ready be praying if you don't know jesus today's a day of salvation Confess your sins to the Lord. Confess you're a sinner. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, he rose again three days later. God's word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you'll be saved for it's with your mouth you confess and your heart you believe. And there's a miraculous thing that happens. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and communes with you. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the patience of the listeners. Thank you for just uh, everything you're doing. Help us to be like my little boy, Nathaniel, just excited about your gift to us. And uh, Lord, I pray for each and every person here, Lord, whatever they're dealing with, uh, family struggles. Lord, I ask that you would just meet their needs and that you would pour your spirit out upon their lives. And God, that you would just continue to teach us and love on us and help us in our shortcomings, that when people see us, they might see Jesus and not our silliness, God. Thank you again for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.